like what, 602 and we're gonna convene the meeting. Um, thank you all. Um, it looks like everybody on uh, the board is present. I see seven folks. Um, so what I want to start first is that I'd like to, uh, if I made the objection, let me know, but I'd like to change the order of the agenda to uh, cover the discussion items for seven immediately after the board secretary's report um, and, and therefore before the uh, committee's report on the uh, use of force recommendations. Uh, it will help the flow of the conversation. The, you'll see the IPA's report will literally be covering their use of force recommendations. And it's actually one of the things the committee has recommended. You'll see uh, this to actually endorse those recommendations. So it's important that you get them first. So, no objection? Can we go with that change? I'm sorry, what was the item number? Uh, so we'll revert. We'll, uh, the whole discussion items, number seven, seven okay. will be moved. To uh, between five and six. To that six. Okay. Um, um, so, um, first off, do we have any public comments on non-agenda items? Uh, non-agenda items. Yes, Chairperson, we have one speaker card. Oh, that's right, we got the cards. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you. Um, then, 
Department's report, Chief. So we have a couple different reports. Can you hear me? There you go. Yep. So we have just a, a few couple uh, quick reports. Number one, uh, if you are not following uh, the City Council uh, hearing on Monday night, uh, the there was a presentation given that most of you, I'm sure, is probably aware of for additional 41 flock cameras uh, and additional 38 uh, dash cams uh, for the police department. Uh, the, it was two separate items, and the council voted 6-0 uh, uh, with one council member absent uh, to approve our request. So we'll be implementing uh, as quickly as possible, but it will take some time without a doubt because of uh, work and, and contract issues and so forth. So it'll take some time for the body cameras, excuse me, the dash cams as well as the, the flock cameras. But I really just wanted to make sure all of you knew about that. Uh, the Your chair president uh, did speak. Uh, chair and president. Yes, <laughs> really. Well, <laughs> did speak uh, for the council as well. There were a number of of uh, speakers that were very uh, in favor of uh, the resolutions that we proposed and just want to make sure you guys know that and if there's any questions we more than happy to entertain those those questions and then uh, assistant chief towards those couple as well just a couple of uh, community events that we held over the last two weeks uh, for those that weren't able to make it we did have our Cookies with the cops out in front of the police department, where we had uh, at least a couple hundred uh, individuals, maybe a little bit more, show up. Uh, I was uh, assisting Santa Claus by taking over his duties in front of the PD. And then uh, yet last night, we uh, made some uh, deliveries, some uh, present deliveries to uh, a, a local family, uh, provided some presents for uh, their, uh, their five children. So it was a good little event that we had. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just, uh, um, I was thinking late before, but just so you know, in relationship to the council meeting on Monday, for those who don't know, I did speak at public comment. I did not speak in favor or opposed to the cameras. I just wanted to bring to the attention of the council that the chief had agreed to make sure we have an opportunity to review the mobile ALPR policy before they actually operationalize those dash cameras. So, and so the council's aware. We'll talk about that later, but we'll obviously need to agenda that item probably February. And, and thank you for, for mentioning that. So I'm definitely uh, very interested in, in getting some feedback on reference to that, but it will take some time. Uh, if we were to, uh, you know, get the contract to Axon tomorrow, uh, their delivery date is not until April, so we really have some time, uh, and we'll schedule, uh, maybe not February, but maybe certainly March, uh, with a policy uh, a reference to that aspect. So. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, Independent Police Auditors report. Do you have something to report besides your agenda item that will be coming up shortly? Hello, with them. There you go. Oh, you're muted. Muted. Uh -oh. How do you 
signal. Which other side of the unit? Can't hear you yet, Jeff. Not yet. No. Try it now, Jeff.
their attendance or lack of attendance at board meetings has no impact on your quorum or your majority vote requirements, so it kind of resolves that issue. And then, of course, as you know from our agenda tonight, you'll have a you have an agendized discussion so that you all can uh, develop, if you so choose, some you know, recommendations related to the method by which those seats would be filled. Um, and just in terms per state law, because it's an ordinance uh, after the second reading, second reading, if the ordinance actually goes into effect 30 days after, so that would be 30 days after December 18th, so that's basically late January is when that officially goes into effect. Any really important uh, yes, so the other update I want to provide is also with regard to um, appointments. So as you recall from our prior discussions at previous meetings, uh, several members of this board, your terms technically conclude on December 31, so the end of this month. Um, and so we are actively, our office is actively working with the city council to um, hear from them what, 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 what they would like to do in terms of you know, reappointments or appointment, how they want to handle those appointments. Um, that discussion is still ongoing. With, um, we're waiting for clear for final direction from the council. But rest assured, all, all board members, there's also a provision in the municipal code that states that until such action take is taken, all current seated members continue on indefinitely, can continue on indefinitely until a decision is made. And of course, we're hoping that by next month uh, we'll have clarity on that. And have those appointments so, you know, for all the council. We'll of course notify you as soon as we uh, you know, have any definitive dates as to when those would go to council. Um, and then and that's a two-part process. Oh, correct. Absolutely. Yes. Also, thank you, uh, Chair Bailey, for that reminder. So there's it's basically a, you know, this two-part process whereby individual council members um, for their respective districts and the mayor for the at-large seat. Um, make a nomination, which is announced at, at a council meeting, and then at the next meeting, um, the actual whole board, the whole city council, has to vote on that nomination. So, although the nomination is derived from a you know individual member of the council, the actual affirmation of that nomination and the actual appointment is, is conducted collectively by the council. And I believe anything I believe that concludes. Can I My, certainly. I know everybody probably knows that one council member. You're that, right. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. So there's one council member that resigned. Sure. Um, so how are you guys gonna try to work that out? Because doesn't that complicate things a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I can, I can go into detail on that. So okay. yes, correct. So Councilmember Reynes did uh, submit her resignation from the council effective December 31. So her seat. Uh, her the, the the CPRV board member that is nominated by her district can continue on uh, until a new nomination is made. Uh, we don't yet know who Councilmember Reynes' successor will be, um, but as a practical matter, we expect that the council will have a discussion on the process that they'd like to execute in January, potentially at the first meeting in January. Um, at which point, and then ultimately, you know, they'll, I assume there'll be some kind of call for, you know, folks, fall, call for applicants from the community who wish to serve as that council district, member district seat. Uh, and then ultimately, the, you know, a majority vote of the, the city council members have, will, you know, decide who will be appointed to that seat. And then that person would then sit in that council district seat until the next election, uh, next November. And then whoever wins that election through the vote of the public uh, would then serve the remaining duration of that council district seat uh, for another two years. So essentially you'd have 
for lack of a better term, you'd have a nominee, you know, that's appointed by the majority of the council to have a one-year slot, and then presumably they could either run for re-election again or other people could run, and then for the remaining two years of a seat, and then at the end of that process, then it'd be up for a normal, four, a trip, more traditional four-year election. And so what that means for here, though, essentially, is that for that particular seat, that the you know, the board member could continue on until some action is taken by, presumably, by Councilmember Reynas' successor. At the earliest. At the, at, yes, correct, at the earliest. So it could be a while. Uh, potentially. Well, I mean, well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know because, you know, ultimately we're hoping to have clarity from the council in January what their process is going to be. Okay. And presumably they're, you know, incentivized to, you know, have an appointee placed in that slot. So. Okay. Thank you. For those who haven't been following this closely, that this is not uh, open. That uh, the council has 60 days to fill the position or they have to call for a special election. Okay. But even when that would be, would occur is a, a council decision. Okay. So, <clears throat> so yes, it's let up in the air. <clears throat> All right, um, with that, um, let me move to. Um, to get uh, Jeff's attention, um, the uh, discussion item that we're going to do, um, which is first starting with the uh, EIPA role in reviewing uh, critical incidents and whatnot, uh, and, uh, and any continued discussion about uh, what came out in the annual report, the discussion which we started last month. So Jeff, floor is yours. Uh, one more tap. Hello, Jeff. Jeff, will you please unmute on Teams? Review of 
policies and assistance in policy making. Are you hearing me now? Yes. Okay. For some reason, I don't see the PowerPoint. Is it up there? Great. Let's move to the next slide if we can. And I think you'll recognize this slide. One of our functions is operational integrity assurance. And we do that directly from our scope of authority. And we provide a detailed analysis of individual types of incidents. And let's go to the next slide. On the next slide, you see the three types of incidents that under the current scheme for 2023, we are reviewing. And that is complaints, uses of force, and critical incidents. These numbers are as of the end of the reporting period, September 31st, I believe. And we have continued reviews. So these numbers are not accurate as of this date. In addition, and I think I mentioned this when I spoke to you last time, there is one critical incident that we are currently reviewing. It was the conclusion of a pursuit inside San Leandro. The San Leandro playing some role in that process. Unfortunately, it ended in two fatalities. We should have been notified about that. We weren't. But we will obviously be in the future. And there will be a recommendation that I'll talk about at the conclusion of this presentation relative to that. But in terms of our reviews, can we go to the next slide? Our reviews are really done in 360 degree fashion. And what do I mean by that? Essentially, with respect to use of force, it is not just the use of force at the moment that the use of force occurs that we review. Rather, we review everything leading up to it, everything involved in the incident, and certain sequelae of the incident as well. So we look at whether or not body-worn camera was appropriately activated and with activation maintained. We look at pre-incident planning, the legality of the predicate to the stop, communication with the subject, de-escalation, the actual use of force itself, the duty to intervene, and whether or not that was followed, whether or not, if necessary, there was an appropriate medical response, an appropriate relief protocol. We look at Fourth Amendment issues of frisking, searching, and handcuffing. We look at Miranda issues. We look at the professionalism of officers. We assess tactics, equipment issues, policy issues, and supervisory review issues. So all of those are done. We have a template that we follow in terms of delivering our report to the department, and then we discuss that report with the department. The last thing that we look at, which is really the most important and is the one indicative of the philosophy that we subscribe to and that we believe 
by virtue of picking Integrisure as the independent police auditor the city subscribes to, and that is a philosophy of continuous improvement. And the question really is, what in this incident could have been done differently that could have potentially yielded a better outcome? And that question and the answers thereto are the hallmark of a department which is engaged in continuous improvement. And in each one of our reviews, we provide recommendations, both with respect to individual officers who are involved in that incident, and with respect to potential policy issues, equipment issues, training issues that are more department-wide than just pertaining to a particular individual officer. Next slide, please. So we provide a similar review for complaints. We are looking at different things. I think as you all may know, complaints come in and they are either handled internally or are farmed out to various consultants who have contracted with the city to perform investigations. But in either case, we review that investigation. We review it for thoroughness, for adequacy, and freedom from bias in the investigation. We make sure that all witnesses have been interviewed properly, that all evidence has been gathered appropriately, that all leads are followed, that the investigation is fair and reaches reasonable conclusions. And then with respect to the report, that it is clearly written and organized. And then we look at the internal controls on that process and supervisory review. Much like our assessments of uses of force, we give recommendations, both with respect to any particular officer involved in the complaint and the adjudication of the complaint relative to that officer or the recommended adjudication, I should say, or to department policies which may be implicated in that particular investigation. Next slide, please. With respect to critical incidents, and again, we haven't published our review yet, but our methodology, as you can imagine, is similar. If we are notified, the procedure may be a little different because in those circumstances, we will decide whether or not it makes sense for us to shadow the investigation as opposed to waiting for the investigation to be over and then reviewing it. All the things that I talked about in use of force and similar things with respect to pursuit investigations would be done while shadowing and offering input into the investigative process that is being utilized. Again, in this case, we ask whether or not a different approach might have yielded potentially a better outcome. Next slide, please. Or maybe I should stop here and ask if I may, Chair, or should I, whether there are any questions with respect to what I've covered thus far. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. That concludes argument in this case.
Maybe you tell me tell me and do I have a question? Does anybody else have a question first? Oh, what you've heard so far. Why is this doing feedback on this call? I'm sorry. Um, anybody have a question for BWC I don't understand the acronym. BWC assessment. Well, body-worn camera. Okay, thank you. And he also referred to SME before, which is a subject matter expert. Um, Jeff, you there? Yes, I am. I just have one question, and that's on the, you explained that, the, that you may shadow the investigations kind of in real time for critical incidents and use of force. Um, how about with the more routine complaints uh, that you're also reviewing? So, I have to be honest, I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to go back to the legislation and our contract to, to answer that question. I think there may be circumstances where we can, in fact, shadow those routine investigations. None has been of a, um, a situation where we thought that it would be necessary. If we did think it was necessary, and even if we did not have the explicit power, we would go to the city manager and indicate uh, that we thought it was necessary for us to, to do, do so. Um, critical incidents are really the ones where we are likely to, to shadow the investigation and as uh, board members may know, uh, we have a team member um, in the uh, in the area who actually does many of the use of force investigations for us and does them from police headquarters. So we have that aspect covered and should it become necessary either in a critical incident, uh, which hopefully will not happen, um, or in an everyday uh, use of force or pursuit complaint investigation, um, we're ready to do it if need be. Thank you. Sure. Shall we proceed to REPA then? Yes, please. And uh, I think uh, in the last meeting there were certainly some uh, rightful questions asked about the, the data. This was the chart that was up, and um, I just wanted to make sure that everybody understood uh, the IPA's position. And if we can go to the next slide, uh, I want to try to crystallize that position. And that is, one, it is clear uh, that significant disparities exist. Um, it is also clear that those disparities do not necessarily indicate bias. Um, but that is not to say that there is no bias operating in any of these disparities. It's just that it has been impossible uh, for uh, academics and researchers uh, to tease out and to say uh, that this particular disparity is the result of bias. And there are a couple of quotes uh, that I took from uh, the Ripper Board, the California Board, which is 
in charge of uh, the RIPA analysis, and the first one is that explicit and implicit bias may influence officers' discretion to make a stop and their actions during a stop, and we totally agree with that, but it is a, a may and not a, not a does. Um, RIPA board recommendation um, was to eliminate high discretion pretextual stops, uh, which are uh, vulnerable to bias. Um, so my suggestion uh, to the department and uh, to this board um, is that we do not try to go down the road again of analysis, um, but we spend as much time as we possibly can on figuring out how to eliminate the disparities that do exist. And there are various ways uh, that that can be done, one of which um, it deals with protectional stops, um, and that is certainly something that we have recommended be looked at by the department. So, happy to answer any questions on that as well. Any questions or comments? Actually, I do. When you talk about uh, pretextual stops being looked at in in the department or by the department, exactly how would that work? And could, can you clarify a little bit or specify what it is they'd be looking at? Because as you know, I, I brought up in the last meeting, these numbers are just not acceptable, and um, I, I don't uh, think that anybody with with an open mind looking at these numbers can, can say that that uh, bias is not a, a major part of, of the reason that there's such disparity in these stocks. Yeah, so the way it would work is that there would be a policy that dealt with pretextual stops, that defined pretextual stops, and that potentially altered the current policy and uh, the current constitutional legal right to conduct pretextual stops. And just so that everyone is on the same page, a pretextual stop is really a stop which is made for a minor offense, usually a traffic offense like a taillight or a license plate light, um, being out when that is not the real purpose of the stop, but the real purpose of the stop is uh, to to speak to the driver and to see whether or not more serious crime is afoot um, in some way. Um, so it would alter the policy uh, potentially, um, and there are model policies out there, there are other department policies um, which restrict the ability of police officers to make purely pretextual stops. Does that answer your question, board member? Uh, it, it, it does to a certain extent. So are you, are you talking about changing, uh, officially getting the, the police department to change uh, its policy in regard to pretextual stops? What we're, we're talking, talking about, about is discussing 
We have made a recommendation that the police department examine its policy with respect to protectional stops in order to determine whether or not a change is in order. Okay, and if they determine that, in their view, that a change is not in order, then nothing happens? Well, ultimately, I suppose it's up to the city manager or the city council or for us to weigh in. Jeff, I'd just like to add something. The ordinance makes really clear that we can initiate a policy review of any topic that we think is a compelling community interest. So, frankly, even if you did not initiate a policy recommendation, we could. And I think that's beyond dispute. The ordinance is clear. And that's my two cents, but Brian? No, that answers my question. I mean, is there any other remedy? Is there any other possible remedy besides that which you're going to make in the recommendation? That's just that the policy be looked at and be looked at internally, I guess. Yeah, I mean, even if we were to come out and make a recommendation with respect to a particular revision of the policy, that could be rejected as well, right? So, ultimately, and if the board reviews the policy, that too could be rejected. But I have high hopes that we are going to be able to come up with something which addresses the situation in a meaningful way. And by the way, that is not the only method of addressing the situation. Making sure that there are better supervisory reviews, overall policies relative to not just pretextual stops, but where stops are being made, may have an effect. We have talked about a program called Lights On, which is a program which, instead of summonsing individuals whose taillights are out, for instance, provides them with a voucher to get the taillight fixed so that there are not repetitive stops of that single vehicle. So that's one thing that we have discussed. And although we haven't gotten deeply into this with the department, bias training is another way to try to reduce these disparities. So we will be talking about all of those with the department. Because something has to be done. When you look at these numbers, as I mentioned in the last meeting, they particularly move me because of police bias I had to deal with growing up in this town. And then to find out now in 2023, based on your numbers, that as an African-American, me and my African-American sons are twice as likely to be stopped for no reason. And let's just call it what it is, stopped for no reason, than a white driver is. That's just not acceptable. And it is troublesome to me that we can go through and make all the recommendations we want, and they can be completely disregarded. They can be completely disregarded if that's what the powers that be decide they want to do. And I just find that troubling. And quite frankly, I find it infuriating. I hear you. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Case is submitted. Counsel are excused.
any other comments, thoughts? Um, we'll, we'll stay closely in touch with uh, this board relative to the progress in this area. We are watching it and uh, we certainly understand your concern. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. I would just like to also just add, and maybe I don't think I'm a very following in addition to this stuff, but I have, actually also have high hopes that we're going to produce some change here, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, we have the opportunity, if she sees it, I think we can make a difference. Um, um, I think that's it. I think we're now to the action items, unless there was any other comments I missed. Oh, sorry, public comment. Sorry, public comment. Sorry. So, is there a card? about this particular thing? Just look over there. I think. Does there, we need a card or not? Uh, we do have one card. Okay, fine. So, but we have a, a couple more slides here, Bob, but we're going to wait on those. I thought he was done. No, that done? Oh, I'm sorry. Is there more? Jeff, I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah. There are a couple more slides. Oh. Um, then let's finish that. I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. Um, just with respect to uh, our function in review of policies and training, which would be the next slide, I think, and then the next slide, serving as a subject matter expert to CPRP, um, we have been reviewing uh, individual incidents of uses of force, and through those reviews, as I noted before, there are recommendations made, some specific to an officer, other uh, more general to policy. Specifically, we have called for a review of uh, a further emphasis on de-escalation, the duty to report excessive force, officer relief protocols, and what that means is that when an officer is involved in an arrest, that that officer is relieved as soon as possible from dealing with the, uh, the suspect of the arrest. Um, recommendations have been made with regard to the pointing of a firearm and, and uh, uh, allowing for easy uh, review of those circumstances uh, by the IPA. Certainly a further emphasis on bias-free policing, the prohibition, on retaliatory uh, use of force and further restriction uh, with regard to shooting at uh, moving vehicles. In, in addition to those areas um, that we have called for in review of policies, um, as your subject matter expert uh, and the advisor to the board, um, understanding that use of forces on the agenda and will be upcoming uh, shortly. There are additional areas of focus that, uh, that we do want to concentrate on. That is use of force model, uh, prohibition relative to warning shots, emphasis on peaceful resolutions, emphasis on continuous assessment, handcuffing guidelines, additional uh, core principles to be included in the policy and some additional miscellaneous provisions. Um, so we are working with the department relative to all of these um, and we'll stay in constant contact 
with the board to update uh, the board on our role and answer any questions in our role as subject matter expert uh, for the board. And then just the last thing, I noted that one pursuit. Um, we have spoken uh, to the city manager and uh, recommended to her that we begin reviewing pursuits as well. So we will begin doing that uh, in order to make sure that pursuits are uh, conforming to policy, uh, just as we do in our other reviews. This will be a 360 degree assessment, including all those things that, uh, uh, that I mentioned before relative to use of force. So thank you. Uh, happy to answer any more questions that you may have. Um, Jeff, can I ask you to go back to the slide that, that listed all these the force recommendations that you are making? <coughs> For the rest of the board, you'll see later that we've actually, at the committee level, in our report, are recommending that uh, we endorse these policy uh, reviews that the, the uh, IPA has uh, recommended. So I want you to be take a moment to focus on that, and so when we get to the recommendation to the committee later, you'll know what we're talking about. But can we just wait a minute? Why do we do it unless we're racially profiling? 
Um, in the reporting around the uh, incident in October of 2019, where uh, two San Leandro police officers uh, taped and then beat um, Sorrell Shiffett, uh, the SLPD spokesperson said, well, there was no taser log, so it couldn't, be, couldn't have been erased. Wouldn't that be good data to have? So uh, if there's not a taser log, let's start having a taser log. I gotta go, and I just want to thank the ad hoc committee for your excellent slide presentation, which we have brought to you. Almost bought you more time than that way. Thank you. Um, if there's nothing else, we'll move on to the next agenda item. Is that fine? Okay. Um, so now we are at the uh, ad hoc committee's report on use of force policies. Let me just. Uh, what we'll do is we'll do the presentation. And we'll have board comments and discussion. Um, we'll have uh, give the police chief a chance to make a comment if he wishes. And lastly, um, uh, no, lastly, then a public comment. And then we would have hopefully uh, time for a motion to accept or not the recommendations. So the, the committee members, as you know now, are uh, Jenny, Tim, Joy, and myself. Um, we're going to share the presentation. And I believe the first one up is Jenny. And as you were going through your slides, so each of you just let, as uh, you know, uh, let Eric know when it's time to change the slide. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to follow the slides. I mean, uh, I'm going to try to. Yeah, but I mean, the slides are not going to run unless you tell them when to change. Okay. Well, that's what you. <laughs> Got it. Sorry. Okay, fire away. I start now? Yep. Okay, so I'm doing the first part. Um, so this is our CPRB ad hoc committee report use of sure, Michael. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Chief. <laughs> okay, so we review the SLB's current lexical 300 policy in the context of numerous references, including the use of force policies of, out of other police departments and recommendations and guidelines from recognized law enforcement experts and practitioners. Based on that review, our initial conclusion is that the current lexical policy on use of force does not reflect the evolving trend of best practices in policing. Accordingly, we believe the best place to start to improve the SLPD use of force policy is to recommend that the policy first be amended to include a clear set of core principles that affirm upright the values and commitments expected in SLPD to minimize the use of force whenever possible. Next slide, please. So I'm not going to go through all of this, but this is just for your information, the uh, references. So I'm going to try to keep this short, but you have it up there. So some of the legal, I'm going to put a couple of the legal standards. There's a Graham versus Connor, Next US, slide. sorry. Next slide. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. So Graham versus Connor, US Supreme Court is re objectively reasonable standard for use of force under totality of circumstances, which considers the severity of the offense, the immediacy of the threat, and the extent of resistance or attempt to escape. And then we have the uh, CA Ab 392, uh, re restricts the use of deadly force to only when necessary in defense of human life, with limits on use of such force to prevent escapes and seizure evidence. So the next one is CA, CB 230, re-mandate to establish use of force policies to include a number of provisions addressing de-escalation, functionality, crisis intervention, duty to intervene, sorry, duty to intervene, evaluation of use of force, 
public reporting and training. Next slide, please. So we have the, a critique of the flexible policy by the ACLU. It was taken, um, the ACLU criticizes the flexible use of force policy, claiming it deliberately includes language that is not in AB 392 and which dilutes the intent of the statute, among other things, failing to clearly distinguish the objectively reasonable standard for all non-legal use of force from the higher necessity standard required for use of daily force. Um, you can read the quote. I'm not going to read the quote. So all of the language objected to by the ACLU, some of which the ACLU pointed out, is also contrary to POSA's guidelines regarding information of the statute. Is present in SLP's current policy. Um, so next slide, please. So we're going to go on to post guidelines. Post guidelines in part. In use of force situation, law enforcement officers shall be guided by the principle of reverence for human life and should only use force necessary to maintain an incident, make an arrest, or protect themselves or others from harm. So this concludes my part. I'll bring it to the. I'll bring it to uh, Joy first. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Okay. Thank you. So um, we noticed that there's a trend to adopt core principles beyond the objective. Objective. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> okay. So there's a trend um, to adopt core principles beyond objectively reasonable, and according to American Law Institute, Ally, and Police Executive Research Forum, known as PERP. Um, they explicitly call for standards that would exceed the constitutional minimum standard of objectively reasonable in favor of more direct assertion that police should not should only use the minimum force necessary to carry out their law enforcement objectives. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so here's some quotes from allies. Um, we don't have to go through all of them, but two that I want to call out on this slide is that um, given the central importance of safeguarding human life, deadly force should be used only to stop a credible threat or death or serious physical injury to the officers or others, and that officers should use the minimum force necessary to perform their duties safely. And we agree with that. Um, next slide, please. And here's more uh, quotes from Ally. Um, and I'll just read one. Um, if force is used against some individuals under the circumstances in which steps would be taken to avoid force against others, then adequate steps to minimize force have not been taken. Um, there's two more quotes, but um, if you have time, you can read those as well. Um, next slide. Thank you. Um, so there's two approaches to use a force policy uh, which is for evolving best practices. Um, so the baseline, um, if you um, look at the Users, uses Graham versus Connor U.S. Supreme Court standard. Um, there's a legal minimum, but the minimum best practice would be to seek higher standards. Um, next is focus on permissible use of force, offers officer safety, officer discretion, and tactics. Um, and the best practices would add greater focus on core principles, objectives, Officer judgment, decision making, harm reduction, training, de escalation, etc., and evaluation. Um, there's examples uh, used in Lexapol and IACP, um, but the best practices would be to use the examples from Ally and Perth. Thank you. 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 Th
Next slide. Okay, so there's a lot here. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to read it all to you. Um, but this slide basically highlights the explicit adoption of standards beyond the constitutional minimum. Um, and this is highlights from three different police departments, um, Camden, Berkeley, and Oakland. Um, but I'll just read Camden. Uh, and that's, I don't think Oakland follows theirs, but that's, that's just my opinion. <laughs> it sounds really good, though. Uh, uh, so uh, Camden, which one was my favorite to talk about? So this says, the directive recognizes constitutional principles, but aspires to go beyond them. The objective, the, uh, sorry, these phrases, I can hardly talk. I'm working on it, so <laughs> forgive me. Um, the objectively reasonable standard acknowledges the difficult decisions that officers are forced to make under rapidly evolving and often unpredictable circumstances, but it does not provide specific guidance on what to do in any given situation. The Constitution provides a floor for government action. This department aspires to go beyond Graham and its minimal requirements. So that was just an example from Camden about um, their decision to move forward and adopt the trend of objectively reasonable standards. Um, and I'll hand this over to you, Bob. Thank you. Um, so um, the uh, in our review, obviously, we uh, as, as we showed you in the reference list, too, looked at many um, police department policies, many of which use this core principles approach. Um, the, uh, among other things in the, in the ACIU's critique, um, some things that are more obvious is that, that the whole idea of proportionality, for example, is barely touched on throughout the lexical policy. There's no description of it. Um, there's no, it's not put front and center. Um, uh, there, um, the way that the, they put together the policy is very disjointed. Um, and so um, one of the points of trying to, uh, or why I think we are uh, like this approach of putting up front the policies, the, um, the core principles idea, is that that puts in one place collectively a set of standards and values that give you a much better sense how forces we intended to be used in our town, what the public could expect, what the uh, what the uh, police management will uh, hold people accountable for, um, and um, and they really are intended to build on each other. So you'll see that you get you go kind of move from things like uh, safety of life to the idea of reducing harm to the idea of minimum force necessary to the idea of then using critical decision making to um, de-escalation to the importance of proportionality. These all kind of flow as a co cohesive set of ideas that is not present in our current policy nor any of the lexical policies uh, around use of force. Um, and uh, I'll also just, while we're going to give you a series of uh, examples of uh, language used in, in specific police departments for these different core principles, we're not recommending that we necessarily adopt that specific language. We're trying to give it as an example of what other departments are using 
And then our, ultimately our recommendation is going to be around you know, developing a core set of principles for our city um, in conjunction with the IPA and the police department. But um, hopefully you'll find the examples useful. Um, and, and also just let's say lastly, we, there are probably more than the nine uh, principles that we named that uh, we saw in some of the other police department policies. We just tried to reduce it to nine to keep it manageable. There's a couple others that, um, that uh, we looked at too that focus on things like transparency, public reporting, uh, the emphasis on evaluating all uh, instances of use of force. So we didn't lay them out separately, but you know, just know that um, we're not limited necessarily to the nine that we've identified, but we did it um, using our best judgment. Um, so next slide, please. Um, so the, the core principles. The first one, um, sanctity of life. Um, uh, the first quote there is from Aurora Police Department. Uh, in case you're not aware, um, Aurora Police Department, I think I have this right, um, our IPA is the court-appointed monitor uh, in Aurora. So they have intimate kind of knowledge of that city and brought this to our attention. Um, the uh, Berkeley uh, statement is, uh, I think, useful. The department's highest priority is safeguarding the life, dignity, and liberty of all persons. Officers shall demonstrate this principle in their daily interactions with the community. They are sworn to protect and serve. The department is committed to accomplishing this mission with respect and minimal reliance on the use of force using report building, communication, crisis intervention, and de-escalation tactics before resorting to force. Next slide, please. Peaceful resolutions. This also comes from Aurora Police Department. Sworn officers shall enter every encounter with the intent to resolve each situation peaceably. Critical decision making and continuous assessment. Uh, this is from the Camden again uh, Police Department in New Jersey. This directive complements the critical decision making model that is the core of the department's use of force training. I'd like to point out that the San Leandro Police Department has introduced that training through what's called ICAC. I know get the acronym messed up again, but it's uh, help me. What's uh, integrated integrated communications assessment and tactics training? It was developed by PERF, and part of that training is this so-called critical decision making model. Um, and also from Aurora, sworn officers uh, shall continually assess each situation that can alter their responses as the situation evolves. Next slide, please. Uh, De-escalation in vulnerable populations. Uh, again, from Camden, whenever feasible, officers should attempt to de-escalate confrontations with the goal, goal of resolving encounters without force. Officers may only use force that is objectively reasonable, necessary, and as a last resort. Continuing the Washington, D.C. Uh, Police Department, uh, when safe and practical, officers shall attempt to influence uh, a situation by communicating verbally or non-verbally, um, and to reduce tension, stabilize the situation, and reduce the immediacy of the threat so that more time, options, and resources can be called upon to resolve the situations without the use of force. Um, I'd just like to point out here that that early on in the Lexapol policy, it refers to de-escalation. And, and it says the objective is to give 
more time and distance for the officer's safety. It doesn't even focus on the idea of harm reduction. That to me is very re revealing of what's inadequate about the current policy. Um, okay, next slide. Proportionality. Um, again from Camden. Um, the sanctity of life should be at the heart of every decision an officer makes. When force cannot be avoided, officers should use no more force than is proportionate to the circumstances. Consistent with training and the critical decision-making process, while using force, officers must continually assess the effectiveness, proportionality, and necessity of their actions. Um, and from San Francisco, it's particularly important that officers apply proportionality and critical decision-making when encountering a subject who is armed with a weapon other than a firearm. Next slide, please. Minimizing the use of deadly force. Again, Camden, deadly force is only authorized as a last resort. In Berkeley, officers shall not use deadly force if it is objectively reasonable that alternative techniques will eliminate the imminent danger and ultimately achieve the law enforcement purposes with less risk of harm to the officer or to other persons. And from LA, Officers may use deadly force only when they reasonably believe, based on the totality of circumstances, that such force is necessary in defense of human life. Again, that's the language from the state law. Next slide. <clears throat> this is the duty to intervene and report excessive force. Um, this is all drawn from uh, Camden. And some of the key points are that officers have a duty to prevent and stop illegal and inappropriate uses of force by other officers. Absent extraordinary circumstances, do whatever he or she can to interrupt the flow of events. Officers can serve each other and the public by simply saying or doing the right thing to prevent a fellow officer from resorting to force illegally or inappropriately. And employees have a duty to report illegal and inappropriate uses of force by, by officers, by other officers. But all employees are prohibited from retaliating against an employee who intercedes in or reports illegal or inappropriate use of force. Again, that's all from Camden. Almost through your game. Uh, next slide. Medical aid. Officers have a duty. This is from the first one from Camden. Uh, officers have a duty to provide prompt medical care. Officers have a duty to continuously monitor individuals for potential medical intervention after a use of force. This responsibility applies during transportation and throughout custody. Um, this, this is from Oakland. My apologies um, <laughs> to uh, but um, this is this is actually one policy that I thought is most clearly articulated in Oakland. And that was officers shall consistent with officer safety. Evaluate the positioning of an engaged person to mitigate the chances of positional asphyxia. And if you don't need a better example, just in the past week or so, Alameda uh, is paying $11 million um, settlement for the, the killing of Mario Gonzalez from positional asphyxiation. Um, so, uh, hence, we think it ought to be elevated and included in our policy. And lastly, um, Fair, unbiased, and prohibited uses of force. Um, uh, there should be no discriminatory conduct um, that is prohibited for use 
uh, for using force to punish, retaliate, or interrogate the subjects. Um, and uh, if there is a violation of the policy, it's subject to corrective action, including discipline, up to and including termination. And under no circumstances will an officer use force solely because another officer is using force. Uh, officers shall not use force based on bias. That's all from Oakland. So that, that's just, again, it's just to give you a sense of how other police departments have articulated these nine uh, principles that we think are critical to have uh, part of our uh, a revised policy for our town. And I think, Tim, you're up. So uh, the committee has come up with three recommendations for action. First is we recommend that the current San Leandro Police Department use of force policy, our lexical policy 300, be revised to align with evolving trends and best practices, including an emphasis on four principles for use of force. The second recommendation is that the Community Police Review Board endorse the independent police auditor's pending recommendations regarding revision of the current San Leandro Police Department use of force policy. And finally, the third recommendation is that the Community Police Review Board continue to coordinate with the independent police audit on the use of force policy revision. There's other possible further community police review board actions to be determined. One, review the use of force data and reports to the public. Review other San Leandro Police Department policies related to policy 300, or policy 302, use of restraints, 304, conducted energy device, and number 331, the First Amendment assemblies, etc. Review San Leandro Police Department training, and finally address racial identity profiling act data and pretextual traffic stops with respect to any racial disparities in use of force. Thank you, committee members. Um, that is um, that is the presentation. Um, Yes, other board members, uh, do you have questions or comments before we have uh, any public comments? Well, my only comment is just a thank you to the committee. I think you did an excellent job, so thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Um, then first, Chief, do you have any quick comment you want to make or no? Sure. Excuse me, I too would like to thank the committee for the work they've done uh, thus far. And I will tell you that we, as a department, are reviewing uh, Section 300. I'll also tell you that we just recently, I think is today is his third day uh, in the position. However, uh, he's been around for some time. We've uh, filled a lieutenant position, a management position in the Professional Standards Unit, which uh, has been vacant for I think almost two years, um, and I think it was an important uh, position to fill uh, because one of the key components
outcomes of that is to review the policies. Uh, there are many things I can tell you about Lexapol policies that I have experience with, um, both positive and negatives, but with that said, I am committed to reviewing all the policies as much as possible, uh, but certainly uh, the use of force is currently under review. I have a copy that I just received a couple weeks ago of the IPA's recommendation uh, that they have given probably, I don't know if they're still on or listening, but uh, back in, I think, June, potentially, uh, that it was pushed out to the department to Chief Pridgen, so I'm not sure what if any movement happened on that, but I am committed to try to look at the policy, review the policy, uh, and uh, because of the scope of the elements in the principles in this uh, policy, uh, it's going definitely going to take some time to review and evaluate and so forth. I certainly uh, appreciate all the specific examples and pieces that were uh, highlighted in this section, and I will tell you that uh, we are committed to develop policy that is uh, just uh, and right for everyone uh, with all of the, essentially, all of the core principles that we're, we all want in a, in a policy when it comes to use of force. Uh, it is one of the areas in law enforcement that unfortunately we do uh, and every day and it would be my goal to absolutely prevent excessive use of force at all times by all officers. Uh, and we're uh, striving to get to that point. So it will be some time, and we'll, and we'll come back to this board without a question. Thank you. Um, is there any cards for public comment? Oh, Tim has something on the board. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tim. Thank you. Uh, I, I just wanted to ask about uh, Lexapol policy, just a general question. Uh, I still don't understand uh, how the communication works between the San Leandro Police Department and Lexapol affecting change. For, for example, when we started talking about use of force, we had a different policy. It wasn't the September version, it was a, whatever the preceding one was. Uh, do you ask for change, or do they just monitor uh, laws in the city and come up with a change? And and when the change happens, to it's a subscription service. Type. It is. It's a subscription service that agencies can belong to. So do they also alter the training along with the policy? They make recommendations. All right, uh, to policy changes based on case law or changes in the law itself, uh, they'll make recommendations to the police department. Pursuant to those changes, we'll then provide training pursuant to those changes. Okay, uh, I was under the impression that maybe they they develop software for the police officers to train on. Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah, they, they, it's, agencies can also customize uh, their policies, but it is a, the generic way just to say it is that they're a subscription service that we subscribe to based on ever-changing policies of laws and case law. Uh, with that policy, when it comes, when the recommendations come down, we review that policy to make sure it's customized and fits uh, in San Leandro. Uh, 
and I'm familiar with it from the state of California as well. So that's the, the typical process. So you can add or delete. Uh, it still goes back to uh, for review by Lexipol as part of that subscription service and they can make recommendations. And it's reviewed by attorney, but in, the, in our case, it's also reviewed by our city attorney and of course this board, all right, for their recommendations and input as well. So we take all of that and then of course you also review all policies will review, can be reviewed by the APA as well. So we've got a lot of different entities. We try to get it right uh, and purposes of making sure everyone is covered. I think, I mean, I think this is with, their, with their point of view and legally, so that it's legally just uh, and uh, community-based. So as a, as a combination of efforts between the CPRB and the IPA, supposing that uh, we came up with a different set of core principles that we'd like to abide by, uh, then the police department uh, would take that into consideration and then um, have that sent to Lexapol where they'd check it for legal uh, errors? I, I, I've, actually, I've actually read the uh, contract with Lexapol. Um, they do not get the final approval of their policy. It's a subscription service. They sell that they're going to give you policy that's updated based on what they understand to be the current state of the law, um, et cetera. Um, it does not actually include local community input or values. It's, you know, it's, think of it, it's something they're sending out nationwide as a subscription service, right? So um, it does say a lot of the fibers, including small ones, are on the small side, from the, the, the amount of uh, staff time it takes to write up policies for Ground zero. It's exactly why they are so popular for this. But the chief is right, it can be customized to be our needs. It does not have to go back to Lexapro for their approval. So think about it. It's the starting point is their product. The finished product is whatever we say it's going to be, meaning the chief and this community. Um, so we're not at all obliged to what Lexapol uh, recommends. Um, they also have trademark uh, uh, rules that said even if you change the policy, you've got to call it a Lexapol policy um, because they're protecting their brand. Uh, crazy, not crazy about that provision, but anyway, that's the way it is. So don't be confused. They say Lexapol policy, but it could be totally customized if this city chooses to do that. Uh, do I have that correct? That's Sorry. correct. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, good question though, Tim. Uh, you know, Lexapol is a bit of a mystery for folks. I learned a little bit too much about Lexapol at the NACO conference that we have a few minutes later, I'll tell you. Um, I'm going to ask us if we can go another 10 to 15 minutes, but I think we can be done by quarter of. Um, no, I can't today, so I have to leave at 7.30. But you guys can continue if there's nothing we can on. Well, I mean, I think we're at the, the, do we have any public comment or not on the, please? Unfortunately, I've got to go at 7.30 as well. Okay. <clears throat> um, okay. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for the work that you put into looking at the, the policies and the core principles. 
Um, I'm concerned that some of the principles don't actually provide more specificity than the reasonableness standard in Graham versus Connor. Um, Graham versus Connor is just saying, you know, what would be reasonable or what would an officer in this situation reasonably do? And it can be a very flexible thing. Um, and I'm concerned that the principles here are basically saying, um, this is what we intend to do, but it isn't actually providing any more than what you have before in terms of it would end up still falling back to Graham versus Connor, which is again like a lot of things can be interpreted as being reasonable in that situation. Um, so I don't think that the principles are like bad principles, I think they're good, but I think that they're basically good intentions that aren't really enforceable for the most part. Um, some of them seem to be a little bit, have language that could be more enforceable, but some of them really are just like, uh, this is what we'd like to see. And if that's what we have, then I think you can have a situation, uh, like Joy was saying in Oakland, that you know, their language sounds really good, but we don't actually think that they're complying by it. Um, so um, I'd urge you guys to consider the language carefully, and whether it's actually something that is, you know, um, a good intention versus what is an enforceable policy. Um, and also regarding lexical, um, I'd like to see how the customizations that are applied for that lexical policy can be um, like called out and uh, continued on when every time that lexical has an update, so that we aren't losing um, any customizations that you know the department spends a lot of time to put in place. Thank you. Thank you. Um, then, um, I guess at this point I'd like to see if I'm able to make, to make a motion to accept the recommendations of the committee. So moved. Um, do we have a second? Second. You lost. Um, so that's good. Brian, um, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, all those opposed? So that's unanimous 7-0. Thank you. Um, we've got six minutes and folks have to leave. <clears throat> Let me, uh, well, I think we can do this quickly, actually. Um, this is the next item on the uh, ex officio uh, board member selection. Um, we don't have time for a discussion about it now, <clears throat> but as you heard, <clears throat> the ordinance change will be in effect in the latter part of January. So we need to move fairly quickly if we're going to take advantage of this council's invitation for us to have some input on what the selection process would be. I would really encourage uh, a, uh, another ad hoc committee to, to take uh, next month to kind of maybe learn from what is the city doing, or what's their experience with the youth advisory uh, uh, council, and, and perhaps uh, talk to folks at the uh, high school with the Justice Academy. Like, try to get some ideas about what we think might make sense for selection process. Um, <clears throat> I've got um, you know, uh, uh, notes from the council meeting where they express some of their individual concerns about what that selection process might look like. I'm happy to share that actually with the full board. I'll do that outside of this meeting. I'll just send it off. Um, so you'll have that to also work with as well. Um, but are there any volunteers for, uh, this shouldn't be a, you know, a huge exercise actually, but folks would like to work on this and come back to the next meeting in January to have an action item on, uh, on, on this, you know, what, 
recommendations of any we want to make about the selection process. Nobody? I hear so. I don't want to go into bank mode again. Um, see, it works. Joseph, <laughs> anybody else want to? Especially anybody who might have some connections with the uh, uh, folks working with you. Uh, anybody nice slides hands up? Um, you want to set the new thing? Uh, see, it's working. <clears throat> so we have to, and by the way, <clears throat> just so you know, you know, this significance of this change in uh, our ordinance now means subcommittees can only be three people now because we're only seven, okay, officially. So I think we have a committee. Um, I'll let you guys get organized, but I'll send off that material to the three of you, and then you can uh, go at it. Um, and then I'll just check in with you closer to the, the junior meeting. So that thanks for that item. Thank you all. Um, <coughs> oh, sorry. Excuse me. I don't know where. We need a motion. Excuse me. To create the ad hoc committee. So, so, so moved. I second. And it, yes, it's okay. It's a second. So, um, and uh, so all in favor, I think we have a motion. So that's how it is. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any comment on this, public member? No public comment. Okay. Um, uh, all those in favor of the motion? Aye. 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 Okay. Uh, all those opposed? I think we have a unanimous vote again. Um, so we've got just a couple minutes. Um, any, um, I'm trying to think of this. Actually, we got through everything. Uh, we didn't approve the minutes. Um, um, so there's a motion to approve the minutes from the last mm -hmm. meeting. Quick motion. I'll motion. Okay. Second. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, all those in favor? Aye. I'm going to abstain. I wasn't there. So. Okay, so we have five um, in favor, two abstentions, and no opposition. I'm sorry, yeah. though. What abstention do you? Um, and Keith, we are both absent. Thank you. So um, just for the record, I reflect that Member Gibbs and Chair Bailey are abstaining. Correct. Okay. Moving along. Um, any quick um, board comments, uh, board member comments? I think that's our last item. I have one. Um, um, board 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 member? No, I'm not. But I do have one, one, one quick comment. Clarification. Okay. I just wanted to, to clarify there was a few that uh, members that had contacted me in reference to sit-ins in the dispatch center. I know that NHTSA has been uh, trying to get some firm updates. That do we are we good with some of those dates? Are we good with has everyone been contacted by Nitsa? I did like last week. So she you did you last week? I just did my last week. Yeah. Perfect. But okay. I, I guess I still she I, 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 I miss I, her and she misses me. I know she's trying. I know yeah, she's, she's trying. trying to contact. She told me. Yes. I'm glad that you called Okay. Them. I just wanted to make sure you guys know we're trying to make contact yeah, with everybody. We've got to coordinate after the first of the year. Sure. Okay. No, no worries. I just want to make sure you I guys are. And then lastly, uh, yes. I know I'm the temporary guy, but. Thank you for the work that all of you have done. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas on behalf of the police department and uh, management staff of the police department. Thank you. Okay, I have one minute. Oh, I have a quick comment if there's time for it. Uh, just very quickly, uh, two months ago, uh, two meetings ago, we had that discussion about uh, the license plate readers and how long the police should keep the video. Um, there was a discussion about it being seven hours, uh, seven days versus 14 days. 
And um, I uh, quoted, I paraphrased a quote from Benjamin Franklin saying, those who would give up freedom in, in the name of security deserve neither. And it's come to my attention that because my distinguished colleague Keith and I were on opposite sides of that, that there were some people who thought that I was directing that comment at Keith, and I was not. I just want to make sure that's clear. Well, I was talking about us as a body and us as a city that we have to be careful about giving up our freedoms because we're afraid. That was the point I was making, and perhaps I wasn't as eloquent as I as I uh, helped to be. So, uh, Keith, if that's how you took no, it, I, I, I wanted to make sure I apologize for that. I clarified for that. Okay, and that's it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Any other comments? 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 Uh, I would just because it's important to make sure we're um, meeting our obligations under the Brown Act, my favorite, um, uh, for uh, items for the next agenda. Just want to review those, and if anybody um, has any objection, let me know. But here's the things that.